Hello and welcome to From the Platform, episode 6. I'm Tom Peel and you are... Hi, I'm Naomi Reed. Thanks for joining us. We'll get straight into it. In these podcasts, we've been stressing the importance of listening when encountering challenging topics, especially to kind of figure out where someone's moral matrix comes from. That was our episode one. I'm going to look a little bit more into listening today. We're also going to think about this from the perspective of our community being very much online in the last 10 to 20 years. Technology has made its impact in several ways, and like many communities, we found that they're both positive and negative. So this episode will look at how to listen to others in an internet age where members have, for some time, had access to an abundance of new information. Our members are listening to a wider variety of opinions and information through online videos, discussions and podcasts than ever before. This, understandably, generates more questions and ideas which we need to listen to to understand and help disseminate. There are, for example, new ideas about how challenging passages can be translated, interpreted and applied. Verses that talk about the role of women and sexuality spring to mind. Uh, some of these are very compelling and talk about the issues in an open manner. And that is a breath of fresh air for quite a few people, but it is probably a shock for others. But this uh, content is being listened to. Um, there are no barriers to its access. And if it were your inclination to, you can't possibly shut it down. It can't simply be ignored. So how do we engage with the conversation and enable our members to pass out fact from fiction in a way that opens up the conversation in the manner we have been talking about throughout this podcast series. Mm-hmm. So are you talking more about critical analysis? Yes, that's a big part of it. Guiding people to be critical in the things that they listen to. So someone's going to listen to a podcast and a new idea might be presented to them and they might think, oh, that's really interesting, but that's a bit kind of maybe taboo and very much different to the Christadelphian way of thinking. I'd really like to open up the idea with my brothers and sisters, maybe people who have more information and have more history and knowledge and background. And we're living in a time where there's more and more of this happening. They're hearing new ideas and that we need an arena and an environment to put those ideas into and be listened to and to be critiqued. And yes, you should you should definitely develop that skill as an individual. But I think also as a group, we need to be open to someone coming and saying, I heard this idea about translation of uh, Timothy. Let's can can we all open it up and like look at it properly? And I think at the at the moment, conversations like that are shut down, potentially because people aren't bringing them forward in a way that makes people feel like it can be discussed. And also people aren't receiving that request in a way that's charitable. So on in both parties, there needs to be leeway. There needs to be a way of discussing this in a way that uses what we'll come to term later as intellectual virtues. And we'll, we'll talk about those at some point. Um, and to this point, I'd really like to say how massively important this is for the next generation coming through our ecclesias. They're known as iGen, colloquially, the internet generation. And that's not just those who have grown up with the internet, but those who have grown up with the internet in their pockets, the smartphone generation, those who are completely plugged in. This generation is very different from the ones that preceded it. Uh, Jay Twangy, who researches uh, generational differences 
for over 25 years, says that when she started studying psychology, typically characteristics that come to define a generation appear gradually and along a continuum. Beliefs and behaviours that were already rising perhaps simply continue to do so. But then when she starts to study iGen around 2012, she noticed that the shifts in team behaviours and emotional states are steep mountains and sheer cliffs in these graphs. And many of the distinctive characteristics of the millennial generation begin to disappear. And it's something that she's never seen before. So I just want to highlight how iGen are a very different generation that are coming through. They're completely plugged in. They're very much looking to find their individualistic personality and the internet provides them with that individualistic content. Algorithms show you a feed of information that's bespoke to you. They're going to be seeing and hearing lots of new and different ideas and accepting lots of new and different ways. And so to shut down any conversations with this generation is a complete non-starter. They're going to find that information regardless and we simply need to be able to provide a platform in order to pass out what is factually right and what is factually wrong in a way that is exploratory rather than dogmatic and from uh, the platform. Allowing themselves to sift through the information and learn it for themselves. It seems like this generation want far more to own their own ideas, own their own personalities and, and be in control of their own thoughts and feelings about things. It's just how damaging like polarisation is because the internet and personalised social media means that you have access to far more um, specific interests, which is really, really good. You can find out about things, but it also means that you become really, really polarised. Mm. And um, this definitely perhaps more than ever, is coming into our politics. It would seem to me that that is something that is changing in the world. And also in our meetings, that there's more scope for becoming more polarised and more of a culture of becoming polarised. So mm. if you've got an issue, it's you know discussed in secret and then you sort of go off and you have a little breakaway group or you have a secret Facebook group or you know, everyone's, you know, chatting about it in a private little clique on WhatsApp, that kind of thing. All of these things do contribute to polarisation, and I think that's one of the most damaging things, because there's, there's loads of stuff in the Bible about divisions and unity, and, um, yeah, I do think that's so important. And I'd say I'm a really big advocate for spending time socialising with people who you wouldn't necessarily choose to socialise with, because it gets you out of your comfort zone. And also you learn loads of things just about other people and about yourself. And, mm. um, and that's what church is, isn't it? That's yeah, what church really should be. Yeah. I do about... feel quite strongly that that's what you should kind of use church for, you know, mm. access to all mm. these other people from different generations and social classes to you. Yeah. I'm definitely not someone who says, oh, society's getting worse and worse and worse. But I would say there's elements of our culture that is, yeah, making us more fractured and polarised and I think that is really dangerous and something mm. we need to watch out for. Um, so I would say also being aware of you Tom as a recording brother you kind of have a certain amount of power in the meeting that you go to to actually instigate things and initiate things and you are a very very confident person and you don't really take anything personally so you are a very particular personality type and you can bring those ideas forward you can hire me for a cost to come into your ecclesia and... indeed but i would be aware of 
most people are not like you and most people are not in a position of privilege in your meeting. So we'll also try and think about how you can discuss and listen healthily to people in more to do with like an individual level. So in within you and your relationships with your families and friends, um, you know, you can be like a small amount of influence yeah. for your meeting, even if you don't have the power mm. or the confidence yep. to set that up. So we're going to present a tool called the listening technique, which I think we may have touched on slightly, but I want to go into more detail about this. Tom, what inspired this podcast? Because I know that you said you were going to talk about something else, but then you felt you had to keep backtracking and backtracking and then eventually landed on this topic. So So yeah, I was writing a podcast about uh, 1 Timothy 2, which is kind of a challenging topic. It's about women's roles. You were going to do an actual topic. I was going to do an actual topic. <laughs> and then I thought, I, I thought, okay, well, I'll use all of the tools that we've kind of put forward in the podcast already in terms of the moral matrix, the ideas about fear, etc. And so I started role-playing a conversation that might happen with someone who brings you a concern about the translation of Timothy. And I realised that there's still more groundwork to do because... To deal with that properly, you've got to have certain skills and ideas and strategies in place. Yeah, it's the listening technique that you do first to understand where that person's coming from in terms of the moral, the moral matrix that they're depending on. And what is the listening technique? It's from the Alpha course, the Alpha Marriage course. Um, we did this before we got married, and it's one of the most useful things I find like in our relationship, mm-hmm. and it kind of extrapolates outwards. And it goes like this. You have, obviously, two people. Partner one begins by airing their view. It might be a concern, a question, whatever. Partner two then repeats this back and asks partner one, is that right? If not, then you repeat it until it is clarified so partner one can add any detail they want to make it, you know, solid. Partner two asks, what's concerning you most about what you've just told me? Partner two repeats this back. Partner two then says, is there anything that you, me or we could do about it? Partner two listens and reflects back to this. Finally, partner two asks, is there anything else you would like to say? So this is really important in regards to listening to hear rather than listening to respond. Often, as soon as someone starts saying something, you go, oh, I know something about that. And oh, I, I, could, I could reference this, I could tell them this, I could tell them that. And this is good because it means that you actually listen fully to the person, make sure you're getting that, their, their point is coming across before you say anything. And in our relationship, it's also good because, say, Naomi has a concern about something. I then don't go, well, yeah, but you do this or you do that. It doesn't become tit for tat because it's really important that the person feels like they've been listened to. play what it might look like at a CYC class you might get the question why don't women speak at the meeting that doesn't seem fair to me so you validate the question that's really important 
and repeat it back to them. And it might go something like this. That's a really interesting question. Why don't you feel that it's fair that women don't speak at the meeting? It doesn't seem fair to treat women differently to men just because they're women. Okay, so just so I'm sure, you don't think it's fair to treat women different because of their sex, is that right? Yeah, I guess it seems they could be just as good at teaching than men, if not better in some cases. I see, so you feel women are just as able to lead and teach as men? Yeah. Is there anything else that concerns you about this? Uh, well, I guess if God is supposed to be all loving and fair, I don't see how this fits in. Okay, so you're concerned that this doesn't fit in with the impression you have of a loving and fair God. Yeah, I guess so. Is there anything else you'd like to say about this? I don't think so. Okay, well, this is really important. Do you think you could tell me what concerns you most about all that you've just told me? Uh, what concerns me most? I guess that, you know, this is like what we base our lives on. So it should be fair and it doesn't seem fair. So fairness is the most important part of this for you. Yeah. So what do you think you or I or the Ecclesia could do about this? Um, and I make it more fair? And what would that look like? Well, I guess we should let women lead and speak. Okay, so I'm going to stop there. Great teenager impression. Thank you very much. Um, I think this conversation highlights a few things that are really important before we move on. First, it might seem repetitive, but the young person is being listened to and engaged with. The issue is clarified, so we know we're definitely not talking at cross purposes. We also get to the nub of the issue. In this case, it's fairness within a social group. It could just as easily be the question about God's judgment, and most likely that will come up again, so don't be frustrated when the young person or any person backs up on their argument and goes down another route. By asking what can be done about this, you're engaging that young person in a future responsibility. They probably haven't considered what can be done about it, so it's an important avenue to open up in our young people. The realisation that the future is in their hands is so important in keeping them within the community. So yeah, it's really important to validate the question, make sure that they're aware that the question is not taboo, they can ask it. My concern would be that not everybody who wants to initiate trying a listening technique with somebody would be kind of brave enough or they might feel a bit silly to kind of say oh okay now we're we going to do a listening technique I'll explain all the rules to you and I'll write down all the different stages likewise the person you're talking to just might not be that kind of person who'd be up for it or might find it a bit silly or would just sort of carry on chatting so for example you tried it the other day and I think it worked well because you know all the questions like is that what you mean and what concerns you the most about this? What do you think we could do about this? I think still worked even though because it was in a group conversation and because it was a really chatty person, they just kind of, you know, ploughed on with the topic rather than sort of engaging fully in the listening technique. I think it still has a lot of value if you use it informally as well and, or you're, you're not happy to kind of do it really, really formally. Those questions are still really useful and makes the other person feel listened to. And also really helps you to learn loads when you step back and drop the attitude of I've got to answer, I've got to answer, I've got an answer for that, I want to respond. When you adopt the um, 
attitude of I really want to understand what this person is saying you learn so much and also you relax because you're sat back and you're thinking my goal here is to listen mm. and understand and respond to. at a, a later absolutely point. yeah yeah and respond more effectively at a later point yeah I think what else is good at it? I mean in the example I give the young person is highlighting the issue that it doesn't seem fair to treat men and women differently and that women can be just as good at teaching than men. And that opens up something that is maybe a common misunderstanding. If you follow a conservative view of men and women's roles, it's not that you think men are better than women at teaching. It's that you are taking your authority from a source that you believe to be a higher authority than a meritocracy. So and what's a meritocracy, Tom? Uh, meritocracy is where roles are given out on the basis of who's best at them. Of talent, basically. So let's um, continue. Like I've just got a little finishing bit for this conversation. And be aware that this that a conversation like this may not all happen in one sitting. So this is this is the CYC teacher. So, by letting women teach and speak, you're going to have to change some of the traditional ways in which things are done in the Ecclesia. And some of those things are based on passages like 1 Timothy 2, verses 8 to 15. Now, as a community, we place paramount importance on what the Bible says, so we can't just dismiss it because of what we think might be fair or unfair. We ultimately believe God has presented a better understanding of what is right and wrong in the Bible for us to follow. So that might be a way of bringing the argument from the fairness foundation and bringing in those ideas that it's not about merit into the authority and loyalty foundations. And so it's probably a good point to stop with that young person and get their perspective on the authority of the scriptures, especially if they've touched on it already. You'll need to establish the young person's thoughts on the authority of the word of God and have that conversation as one leads on from the other. Since there's no point having a discussion about what the Bible says about women's roles when you don't agree on what the Bible even is. Yeah, and remember, we can't just make the jump without listening to the other person. We have to put the effort in. If someone comes to us to say, why don't women give prayers? And we reply, well, do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? It misses the need to listen. It might be saving time by addressing the underlying issue and getting straight to the point. But we have gone straight from care and fairness to authority and loyalty in a jolt that will seem abrupt and inconsiderate, putting the other person on the back foot. Is there anywhere where people could read about it? So, yeah, you can find all of this in the Marriage Course Guest Manual, which is on issue.com, which is I-S-S-U-U dot com. If you search for the Alpha Course Guest Manual, it's exercise five pages 28 and 29 and the whole of that section which is section two the art of communication is really really good and worth going over and the whole thing is worth it to be honest even if you're not getting married and you're just going out with someone yeah you know test them out yeah i wish i knew all that stuff donkeys ago yeah and as pointed out that listening helps us move from one moral foundation to the other. It helps us listen to the person's concerns on their foundation and then move the conversation perhaps to the authority foundation. Granted, there'll be 
like in that 2 Timothy passage, some translation issues that might change what that passage means, and you'll have to look at those as well, but it's a starting point. Listening starts off, it's often going to be based on concerns, uh, care, fairness, liberty, foundation, and that opens us up to explore that topic and be very thorough in doing so. So young people are likely to ask uh, questions in this manner. Uh, they're inquisitive and hopefully encouraged to ask questions through formats like Sunday School and CYC, and then going on to youth weekends, conferences and camps and the like. And that's a brilliant support system. I benefited so much from those as a young person and I'm really grateful for it. I guess the difficulty is we're not often talking about young people having these questions. Yes. After the point when you sort of finish youth weekends and maybe you get baptised, there, at least for me, there seemed to be an assumption of, well, now you've kind of got it sorted out. No matter how many times you hear the talk about, oh, you know, baptism is the beginning of the road, you know, you don't mm. have to know mm. it all to get baptised. There is there is suddenly a much bigger taboo of um, kind of opening up questions about faith and about more tricky concepts. Yeah. There's a, a sort of hidden assumption of, well, you should have come to terms with all that now. Yeah, or you've thrashed it all out in your preparation lessons for baptism. Yeah, and very much not. <laughs> when yeah. you're like, I don't know, trying to do your university exams at the same time. Mm. It's not mm. really, yeah. Mm. I remember being at a Bible class when the subject of suffering came up and the speaker made a fairly kind of brief comment about, oh, well, my family member who is not um, a Christian would probably say, oh, how can you believe in God when there's so much suffering in the world? But of course, we've all we've all come to terms with that. We've all got our own ideas about that, as if this kind of general assumption of, well, none of us, we're all OK with that. Mm. We've all worked it out now. And I was sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness, am I the only person who hasn't worked that out? And I think it's very lazy as well. It's like we have our set arguments, but they, they'll start from a certain point of presupposition. If you think the whole of the audience is is starting from the same point, then you will make a lazy jump in that kind of a way mm. but I think more and more people are going to have very different ideas and, and not be prepared for to, to start the, uh, the journey where most evening lectures as it were start from mm-hmm. so yeah and it's less common for us adults to be so forthright because honest conversations and questions generally become harder as we become far more aware of social taboos as well as more fearful of provocation or confrontation. If you want to listen back to episode two, please do. We may also think we will be overwhelmed and or underprepared for a debate. Underprepared because we don't know enough um, or overwhelmed by the fact that these frustrations can cause these splits uh, as they have in the past and it just seems like it isn't worth it. Like I was saying, I think we should create an arena where people who have had an idea, they've heard something, can come to the ecclesia and go, listen, this is a new idea that uh, I've heard. I've not done enough study. I don't have enough time to do the study to kind of really figure it out. But can we look over this? And too often we get the issue where someone's like, okay, we're going to program into the into the Bible class or into our evening lectures one person's one-sided view on creation and evolution. And... Mm-hmm where people are sitting in the audience going, well, that doesn't make any sense. And I hope we don't put this to bed after this lecture because there's so much more. Because often sometimes like, we've done the lecture on that, that puts the idea to bed. No more discussion on that now. Mm-hmm. You've also presented the idea of the person who got the question 
um, in a very charitable way. I'd say most people who have questions, especially if they're maybe a bit younger, wouldn't necessarily bring them across in a particularly good way. So I guess that's yeah. part of just like modelling that within your kind of group. And again, this doesn't have to be meeting. This can just be personally sort of in your own friendship groups and family sort of to foster that environment mm. of not starting on the defensive. Like, well, I've heard this and it's definitely right and you're all wrong and I can't believe how old fashioned you are, that kind of thing. Yeah, there is the principle of charity. Uh, the principle of charity requires interpreting a speaker's statements in the most rational way possible and in the case of any argument considering its best strongest possible interpretation so you're responding to the best version of what that person's saying to you the questions you're going to get are going to be half-baked maybe poorly put forward but you need to the listening technique is to help draw out a more concrete question sometimes mm. as well it's just occurred to me, there's an interesting concept from um, solution-focused therapy. I don't know a huge amount about it. We looked at it a little bit at work. And there's um, the miracle question. So it's a way of sort of drawing out from someone what their actual aims are. For example, when I worked with a partner, she was saying, oh, you know, in, first thing in the morning, my kids come and wake me up. I can't even go to the toilet in peace. I can't have a shower in peace. I won't go to their dad, all this kind of stuff. And it's quite difficult when someone sort of like flows out all their worries and issues around a particular thing to work out, well, what is it you're actually aiming for here? So then you ask the miracle question. So you say in the morning, if you woke up with this feeling of, oh my goodness, that problem is solved. That problem is solved 100%. And then you wake up and you go about your day, what would it look like? And then you get a real feeling for what that person is aiming for. So that person said, oh no, my kids would still come in bed with me. They would give me a lovely cuddle. We'd have a chat, we'd maybe read a book in those kind of, that precious time before everyone else gets up. But then I'd be able to leave them with their dad. I'd be able to go to the toilet and brush my teeth and go and have a shower in peace. So then it really helps you to bring out like, oh, so your aims are not that you don't ever want to see your children in the morning. Your mm. aims are that you want to spend lovely time with them in the morning, positive time, but you don't want to then feel burdened with them. And it was really interesting because I think you can maybe do a similar thing. Again, you might want to avoid coming across as patronising when you're talking to someone saying, OK, well, actually, let's explore this through solution-focused therapy and talk about the miracle question. But mm. you can bring it in maybe informally. So if a young person is saying, oh, you know, I want... You know, it's unfair that women can't speak. You can say, oh, what, well, in, if so, if you were setting up a meeting, what would it look like to you? And then you'd get just more of an idea of what this young person was talking about, or this, not necessarily young person, but what this person was talking about. Yeah, so that's yeah, another yeah. kind of thing that you can use to really listen yeah. and get to the crux of what someone is actually aiming for. And it would also allow that young person to probably bring in the counter-argument themselves. Because yeah. um, they probably know about, there's some verses in the Bible that kind of, mean church is organized in this particular mm. way you know you need to bring those passages to and, and shine a light on them and mm. and talk them through those oh yeah that's the point of solution focus oh no solution focus <coughs> brief therapy i think it's called the philosophy behind it is that the person has within themselves the answers to all of their problems mm. so to some extent the person who's asking the question probably already has some ideas of what the answers are going to be sure so i think what we've got from this is that maybe ecclesia's lack a space for healthy conversation and debate, especially being listened to. And as part of that, it might lack in its intellectual virtues. 
that make thinking, learning and listening about these issues constructive. Intellectual virtues are the deep personal qualities or character strengths required for good thinking and learning. Consider, what do we tend to associate with good thinking and learning? Knowledge. Good thinkers often know a lot, at minimum they aren't ignorant. Raw cognitive ability. Good thinkers also tend to be intelligent or have reasonably high IQ. However, a person can have both while also being intellectually hasty, lazy, dishonest, arrogant, servile, distracted, superficial, careless or closed-minded. These latter qualities prevent a person from thinking or learning well, and they are characterological in nature. They are cultivated dispositions to act and think and feel in particular ways. These considerations underscore the fact that good thinking and learning have a character-based dimension. They require the practice of qualities like intellectual carefulness, perseverance, honesty, humility, attentiveness and thoroughness. These are the intellectual virtues. And I think the listening technique helps us develop those intellectual virtues, especially of attentiveness and thoroughness. So why do you feel the intellectual virtues are important to this topic? I think things like intellectual carefulness, that's a disposition to notice and avoid intellectual pitfalls and mistakes, mm -hmm. like fallacies or using the Greek in a totally bogus inappropriate way, way yeah. bogus way, or intellectual thoughtfulness, which is a disposition to seek and provide explanations, unsatisfied with mere appearances or easy answers, probes for deeper meaning and understanding. So these are skills for which side of the conversation? Probably the person who is listening. Mm -hmm. So that you can guide the person asking the question through the maze, because it is a maze, mm -hmm. um, especially if you're going into translation issues. It means that you need to have a thorough understanding yourself. So they're basically all good attitudes towards critical analysis of a concept. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you're going to listen to that person, understand their concern. And it may mean that you say, OK, and you're humble enough to say, I don't have the answer to this question right now, but I'm prepared to go away and gain a thorough understanding of it and share with you how far I get. And I've understood that recently when you think you've gotten to the bottom of it, you're never at the bottom of it. There's another, there's something else. So you can only share with someone how far you've got. You can't really share with them a... A conclusion. A conclusion, a full, like, solid conclusion. And and it's, yeah, it's good to share with them and say this is, and be humble about it and say this is where I've got. Um, it's also, I mean, the first um, intellectual virtue, virtue is curiosity, which is a disposition to wander, ponder and ask why a thirst for understanding and a desire to explore. So someone comes to you with a question, you're humble and maybe say, I don't know, fully know the answer to it, but you're curious and you want to answer it on their behalf because you want to you know, make sure everybody in your community is fully engaged and has been listened to. It takes a lot of work mm -hmm. and it's a lot of effort. I guess it is easier in a group of people to just have a standard answer and a mm. standard... Um, yeah agreement on everything and it yeah and it is a lot of work especially in the christadelphian church where we don't have paid ministry mm. and it's someone taking you know time out of their own yeah their own sort of leisure time and their free time to kind of do all of this yeah, but yeah um, in terms of igen and the future of our mm -hmm. society it's important um that highlights one of the other 
intellectual virtues, which is intellectual autonomy, a capacity for active, self-directed thinking, an ability to think and reason for oneself. There's always that passage, you know, work out your own salvation with trembling and fear. Don't just listen to the person at the front and adopt someone else's understanding. You know, that's a biblical principle and we don't have, for the most part, a decent structure within our programmes and ecclesias to enable other people to to work out their own salvation um, and bring the, the questions and work through it together. Um, if, if you just say, no, you, you listen to my reasoning and adopt it, despite it not being something you've properly thought through yourself, that's really, that's very lazy. So I feel like we need a new sort of CYC, but this time for adults. Uh, I feel currently concerns within the community are maybe suppressed for one reason or another. I find as an elder myself, I hear many concerns secondhand and thereby have no idea how widespread those concerns are or who holds them. Uh, is it one or two people that I need to sit down with or a group of five to ten that warrants a Bible class or a study day on the topic? A concern is unlikely to be as explicit as maybe a CYC question where someone comes directly to you and says, I've got a real concern about the translation, interpretation and or application of 1 Timothy 2. If it is, then brilliant. You can engage with that immediately with the listening technique. But they're more likely to be raised within a smaller friendship group where there are similar ideas and a basis of trust already. But these often stay within these groups, subtly generating an us and them mentality. But maybe when we come together as an ecclesia, concerns are more likely to be displayed in a passive comment, perhaps a knowing look or it's shown in non-attendance. And this is much harder to turn into an engaging conversation as the person can become defensive, quickly hiding behind the mask their comment was veiled under. Or maybe in the case of non-attendance, just excuse it as a busy lifestyle. As I said, um, I feel like there needs to be in place, as part of the ecclesial infrastructure, a method for dealing with concerns so that a healthy listening process can be started in faith. The environment needs to change. Ecclesias need a time and space devoted to inputting new ideas and tackling them one by one, prayerfully trusting God in the process. So perhaps you could have a day where it's like an input day. So you say, okay, on this day, we're going to come together write down maybe post-it notes new ideas that you have a you're feeling compelled by things that we need to open up and look at explore validate make sure is watertight because as it stands i can see four compiling issues with the lack of this conversation and listening within ecclesias number one is stagnation perhaps an ecclesia has had all these debates some time ago and those people that have had the debates feel like it's just going over old ground again this leads and also bringing up uh, contentious issues again yeah absolutely stuff that was really awful that yeah. may have kind of you know you, you may didn't have, have the infrastructure for yeah. yeah it was painful so yeah perhaps a group did go through all these debates at one point they've, they've thrashed it all out and maybe it was painful but maybe they came to some conclusions as well and they then adhere to those conclusions because they've gone through that process. But as the next generation comes in, the adherence to that becomes tradition, rather, becomes tradition rather than like something that's been thought through by that next generation. We've been through this once. Now we can lay it to rest. I think with all these ideas, they're not things that you can just go through once and lay to rest ever. 
as painful as it may be, and this is what this, these podcasts are all about, is to try and make them less painful, you still have to go through them. Okay. I would say, for me, uh, one of the big sort of takeaway things is you can have disagreements with people about your approach to the Bible in terms of inspiration and, um, and translation, interpretation, and things like that. However, you can still rise above that if that's the right word to just be good friends and like kind of you know brothers and sisters with those people like there's people who I don't agree with necessarily like their ideas about things or we have discussions where I think oh I'm not sure I'm definitely not on the same page as you on that but if you spend time together socially um I say there's real value to kind of social times with people when you're maybe even not discussing the bible because that might be a bit difficult for you. But when you come, if you just get to know someone personally, you know their background, you know kind of what's led them to certain ideas and things about their life. When you're then in an arena where, say, Bible class, when you're talking about your ideas about things, you think, oh, I can see, okay, that person has that idea, and I can see why they have that idea. I can mm. see why they are very anxious about discussing this. So I can see why they've come, I see why they're very attached to that idea or why that's very precious yeah, to them. Yeah, yeah. And then it just builds understanding, really. Yeah. I think that's really Essentially, important. friendship kind of trumps all of this, really, Absolutely. doesn't it? In ter- I mean, in terms of all these tools that we're presenting, I mean, if you're friends with someone, you don't really need these tools because you've developed trust yeah. already. But um, that is really hard still. But it's yeah, something that's but, yeah, worth... Yeah, but obviously, as, as me- ecclesias, yeah. we're not all, like, best buddies. Mm. Okay, so yeah, that's stagnation. Um, the idea that we've been through all this once, we can lay it to rest. That combined with a fear of letting our adherence to the scriptures slip and losing respectability perhaps within the community means Ecclesia's removed discussion and debate and the ability to question. And that leads to number two, which is apathy. Many people have a concern but are not wanting to bother with it. Previous experiences are stressful or discussions were closed down immediately. They're caught up perhaps in long A-Bs processes or care and fairness concerns are met rashly with authority and loyalty answers and vice versa. People either leave or, if able, go to a different ecclesia that suits their style. And this leads to three, half-baked ideas. Some people know there is an alternative translation or interpretation of 1 Timothy 2, perhaps having listened to one convincing podcast or talk, but having not studied it enough personally isn't able to present the argument fully. It has the danger of going unchecked and simply confirms a bias, as there is no place within the ecclesia now to draw out the full argument and inspect it thoroughly. This could be because you've joined an ecclesia that simply confirms your bias. You all lean the same way. There's no disconfirmation bias, and it just sits as this interesting thing I once heard that can simply just become a part of what that person believes. Or as we've discussed the other alternative is you've had the idea suppressed and you don't feel like you can discuss it this leads to polarization number four a downward spiral into a fractured community typical of what the internet has done the world over in communities large and small um interestingly we had the big conversation a few years ago i think this event was a great idea but it lacked the structure of the listening technique that could have been presented to the groups it kind of threw everyone together which was good but um, I think unfortunately brothers and sisters from all parts of the spectrum 
were put together to confirm how wrong the opposite side really was, <laughs> rather than listen. Did you feel to... that was your experience in your group? Yes. <laughs> so maybe just a, a last little bit as a bit of practical uh, advice. If you don't have a system in place in your ecclesia, my suggestion would be to present your concern or the concern you know others have along with a framework or structure based on the listening technique so people know exactly how the conversation will go, removing the need for others to fear and undermining of the ecclesial community. It's something that I've been trying to do uh, at our ecclesia for a long time is develop conversation skills first before trying to introduce any actual topics it was um, also really beneficial to kind of lay down the fact that we weren't coming to any policy changing agreements we weren't having that discussion to then make a change we're having yeah. that discussion just to air ideas it wasn't and at the end of it we're going to change the way we do things yeah and tom what would you say is your takeaway point from this podcast my takeaway point is to use the listening technique in order to be thorough and attentive and humble and curious. <laughs> that is cheating a little bit by just listing loads of things. Well, those are the intellectual virtues <laughs> and the listening technique. So in there, you've got the listening technique and all the intellectual virtues in one go. Yes. Uh, mine would be love. Brilliant. Well, that is actually really interesting, actually, because sometimes when I've presented these ideas to the meeting, one of the sisters has just said, well, Tom, why don't we just go with what Paul says in Corinthians about you know loving one another and I think that that's brilliant and that's the ideal that we're setting ourselves mm -hmm. we we do want to attain that but I feel like these tools that we um, are exploring are all rungs on the ladder that help us kind of get up towards yeah, that sort of thing as flawed humans that yeah. we are and they resonate with with scripture at points but mm -hmm. I feel like sometimes we just need that extra bit of help especially within our own culture and that little bit of psychology that agrees with the Bible, that kind of fills in a few of the gaps. Because I do think that person who we're talking about has truly ascended us all in terms of Christian virtue. Because she's the most wonderful person <laughs> Yeah, ever. yeah, and she truly does just love everybody yeah. and doesn't want to disagree over doctrine. Yeah, so if you're like her, you don't need any of this. Yeah, you, you just, just need turn to... this off and carry on being a wonderful <laughs> person. the rest of us who are kind of idiots. If you're like us, <laughs> you <laughs> need some help. <laughs> Great. Thanks, everyone. We'll, uh, we'll catch you next time.